I want to tell you as you're finding Romans 15 is that, boy, we live in a culture that sometimes is very challenging to walk out our faith, isn't it? Can I hear an amen on that? It is? Yes, very challenging. Very challenging to walk out Romans as it is a guideline for us and how we, that of make Christ known through living out the gospel. It is extremely challenging. In a world where things no, ma- no longer mean what they meant once, a t- world where, well, things are kind of upside down, and some of those things are not all bad. Some of them have really brought us to a time of reflection in our lives, to really rethink things about our life and the way we treat others. And I'm not saying everything is bad, but yet there are many things that take place in our culture today that are very counter-biblical for you and I, and so we find it a struggle to live in this life. So here's the thought. This week, um, my wife, Reba, and she's in here, but she's with our, our granddaughter, Selah. And, and so uh, that this week that she went to the beauty shop, you know, and I call it beauty shop, but with my wife, she don't need a beauty shop because she's already beautiful, you know, kind of deal. And guys, those are points. All right. Understand it. Those are points. And uh, she heard that. And uh, they evaporate at midnight. They don't carry out the next day. So whatever. And so here's the thing, right? And so she went to the salon and to get her hair cut. And so at the salon, which can be a spiritual experience at times, that she uh, was informed that they asked her as a pastor's wife, you know, have you ever heard this song? And they told her the song and, and the artist. And so she didn't, um, I will not tell you the song or the artist because you're going to Google that now, and you do not want to listen to this in church. I'm telling you, you don't, right? And so she got back in her car, in her little Honda Pilot, you know, and she Googles this thing on our um, iCloud account, our, our, our Apple Music account, and so she starts to listen to this song. Now, if this song was rated for an age group, this song would be like 99 and above only, right? Because if you're 99 and above, you probably wouldn't hear it anyway. And so the thing is that, uh, and, and I just had this picture of my wife rolling down Clemson Boulevard in her little Honda Pilot, and she slipped down really low in the seat, you know, and she's riding all dirty, you know, kind of rolling it, and the bass is turned up really loud. And, and so I had this picture of this. So she come home and said, you got to listen to this. And so she spoke to our Alexa, you know, the little box that spies on our lives all the time sitting on the counter, right? She spoke to Alexa and told Alexa to play this song, and we played it, and I, I'm, you know, my, my mouth drops, and I've been a youth pastor for years, so I'm not surprised, but I'm just listening to this, and I'm wondering, man, where is our culture gone with all of this? And after it was over, we laid hands on our Alexa, prayed over our Alexa, right? Yes, so now our Alexa announces the weather in the King James English. Thou shalt experience tomorrow rain with a partly cloudy time, right? And so we did that, and I, I thought, man, this is really a difficult culture for you and I to live out Romans in. It really is a, a struggle for us to do that. And so I thought about life in Romans 15, and so I wanted to know what the difference is between a wasted life and a well-lived life. Because in a culture that's a challenge, I truly want to live my life well, Right? I want to live my life so it makes a difference in someone else. I, I want to live my life so it builds up others, and that's what, he, that's what Paul talks to, about, talks to us about today. So I found this list of postgraduate um, aspirations of college students. What do college students want to achieve after they graduate from school? And I was really surprised that it's recently done. And I was surprised at what it says. The first aspiration was by college students was that they simply want to find a meaningful job. They want to find meaningful work, not just a job, 
but they want to find something that really brings meaning to themselves and others. The second thing was that they want to help others. I think that's so commendable, right? That they want to help others. And we hear that a lot in our culture, and that's great. And the third one was, what do you think the third one was? What do you think it is? Anybody? Did somebody say money? Who said money? Well, somebody said money over here. It's make a lot of money, right? Yes, that's it. Come on. You thought, well, this is going to be very spiritual. Then you get to the real deal of the matter is they want to make a lot of money. I thought these things are not bad within themselves. But what it said to me is this, that you and I, in fact, everyone, all of God's creation, whether that we are believers or not, have this innate desire and sense that we are placed on this earth for some purpose. That's it. That we have this innate sense that we're here for a purpose and we're striving and we're searching for that in life. It's a thought as old as the book of Romans. Romans chapter 15. I start with verse 20. We come back to verse 1 in just a moment. But here's what Paul says. And thus I make it my ambition. I make it my goal or I make it my aspiration or my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named least I build on someone else's foundation but at is but as it was written and he quotes the book of Isaiah those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand it's Paul's personal purpose in light of God's purpose in the world he has this clear vision of what his purpose his ambition his obligation is he has a clear ambition so much so that even though his heart tells him, as you read through chapter 15, to go some places, he doesn't go there because he has this very clear understanding of his purpose in, in that light of God's purpose in the world. I think that struggling for purpose is universally human. I think it is. And as we read this chapter together, Paul, even, there are moments when he struggles with his own heart and his own mind, his own desire in relation to that of his purpose and in his ambition. But he has such confidence in what he knows that God has called him to do that there are times that he even says no to good things. He even says no to good things. So I have a question for you. A couple of questions. The first one is this. Have you had or continue to have a difficulty in defining your God-given purpose. And I know it's a struggle for all of us at some point. I'll read it again so you understand it. Have you had or continue to have a difficulty in defining your God-given purpose? So to clear the air and to really make this a level foundation, I think, for all of us, how many of you have ever really struggled with that idea of God's purpose for your life? Let me see your hand in the room. Let me see your hand. Good. It's most of us in the room. So it's good that we talk about this for a few moments. It's perfect, it's providential that you're here to talk from Romans chapter 15 together. But it's a purpose that is truly related to God's purpose. You know, Paul could have drawn great purpose from his Damascus Road experience. But what we realize as we read this text together in a moment, that he draws this powerful purpose for his life from Scripture. He has a firm foundation, and that's where he looks for it. At. So where are you looking? I think that's, a, that's where we start. Where are you looking for that purpose, that aim, that goal, that aspiration, that obligation? Where are you looking? Because if you're looking at the person next to you as simply that's where you're going to get that purpose from, then can I tell you most likely they're searching for purpose themselves. And so you both find yourselves doing the same thing, thinking the other one's going to be the guide for your life. And that's not where you find it at all. Are you really living life well then? Are you living life well? 
So let me share a couple of things with you this morning about living life well. So we live life or the path of living life well is simply found in realizing my Christian obligation. And when we use the word obligation in church, we think, Mark, I have so many obligations. Man, everybody is wanting something from me that the last thing I need is for God to want something from me. So are you telling me that God actually has an obligation for my life? Because if you go back and read Galatians, it says there, Paul's very word says that for freedom, God has set us free. So I should be free from those obligations. But the reality is when we understand those words, God has set us free to something. And that's really important for you and I to understand that God has set us free to something. And he set us free to obey him out of love and no longer obey him out of fear. Why? Because my obedience in Christ now is based upon grace and mercy. And I understand that. So I'm not called to live this willy-nilly life. I like that word, willy-nilly, don't you? Yes, it's a great word. It is. It's in the dictionary. I love it. It's not that I live this life aimlessly without some kind of direction. So Paul says, wait a minute. There's the difference between living this meaningless life and for you to live this well-meaning life. And you need to leave here today with a clear understanding of that, that it's okay to use the word obligation and God in the same sentence. It's okay. Because there are some godly obligations for you and I to live a meaningful life. So go to Romans chapter 15, verse 1. Here's what he says. We who are strong have an obligation. There's the word. That's why I've been using it this morning. That we have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good and to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on him. That we have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. I want to unpack that for a moment with you. Why do you have authority or resources or influence or leadership? Why do you have those things? You say, Mark, wait a minute. Hold on. I have very little authority. I have very little leadership. And I have, I have probably very little resources. But you do have influence. All of you in this room have influence over someone. You do. If you don't, then you're living on some island by yourself and there's no one around you, and at some point, you're probably going to influence yourself. Isn't that right? Yes, that's going to happen. So you have influence. So why have you been given these things? It's not just for you, but what Paul teaches us in these texts is this, that is to encourage the weak, that gifts from God were never given to us just solely for us to be edified from, but it's for that of building one another up. That's why we have these things within our lives. Why do I have what I have and what should I do with it? I think that's the question. Because life is more than this you and I surviving childhood. And childhood can be rough, right? I've had three sons. You know, they bled. They've had stitches. They've broken things. All those kinds. So it's not enough just to us to survive childhood and then go to school and then somehow graduate at some point to get a job 
find a spouse. Listen, if you're in the room, getting a job comes before finding a spouse. I just want to share that word of wisdom with you. Understand it. Then you hatch out some kids, right? And, and then you, you know, then you make all the money that you can make. You put it back for some moment to escape where you live, to move to someplace that's much warmer. So you can buy one of those three wheel bicycles with a basket on the back of it. And you can wear tube socks and sandals. Then that's what you live for, right? And if you've been to Florida, you know what I mean. Yes, that's it. And all the Floridians were just offended by me. I love you. It's okay. Bring your bikes and your tube socks. We're all good with that, okay? But listen, the influence and leadership and the resources and the spiritual maturity that you and I have in our lives comes with an obligation. It comes with an obligation. What God is giving you comes with an obligation, and that is to simply build up the weak and those that are struggling. Through our study of Romans, what I have realized is when Paul uses words, Paul uses words intentionally. Paul uses words like obligation who have a far greater meaning than what just you and I think of when we use the word obligation. It's more than just a list of things to do. It's more than just something that's required of you and I. But I thought, what is this word? What is Paul saying to us? And when I read the word obligation, I realized that what it means, the meaning of that word that's used there, is an enslavement of my eyes. And I know that's a very strange statement. It is. But what it says to me, and he used this word intentionally to realize that that I have an obligation to do something about everything that I see around me. That I do have an obligation, that I can't walk through this life with some social, cultural, spiritual blinders on. That I have an obligation Well, in context, that I have an obligation to those that are lacking and suffering and they're weak in this area of understanding that God loves them and has accepted them and they're still trying to simply earn something that God has freely given them. That I have an obligation to simply reach those that are struggling with this idea of grace and unmerited love and favor of God. I have an obligation to those that are struggling morally. I have an obligation to those that are, are just down and out in life. I have an obligation to those that are, are poor and those that are, that are without. I have an obligation to those that are disenfranchised in this world. Whatever it takes to build up those around me, I have an obligation to do that. Even those that harm me. Now, I just lost half of you on that one, right? Yes, because you're already making out your list and you left off all the people that have harmed you. Now, put them back on the list. Because why do you say that, Mark? Because in the verses that I just read to you that Paul uses Christ as the example. Did you know that? He uses him as the model. Here's what he says, a quote from Psalm 69. Paul uses this in the text. The reproach of those who reproach you fell on me. And what that means is this, that Jesus carried our differences. He carried our differences. He carried those differences to the cross so you and I don't have to bear them. So what that means is this. I love you. I love you far beyond and through all of our differences because Jesus carried those things to the cross. That we don't have to think alike or see things alike. We don't have to feel alike to simply love one another. It's not that at all because all of this is based on the gospel narrative and how Christ loved us that I received everything when I gave nothing. And that's the model that God gives us in loving one another. 
And you see, that would be really great, wouldn't it, if this was about loving each other in this room. Man, well, sometimes we struggle with that, don't we? Yes, but yet just loving one another in this room as Christians or, or maybe you're not a Christian, but you're here at church. So just loving each other in this room would, would maybe be easier. But then all of a sudden in this text, verse 2, Paul uses the word neighbor. He uses the word neighbor. It reminds me of Luke chapter 10 and verse 29. And in Luke chapter 10 and verse 29, simply they asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And after this text, you know what Jesus does? It's where he gives the parable of the Good Samaritan. Exactly where it is. So who is our neighbor? And I begin to think that it's everyone in every area of my life. And this would be much more palatable if this was just us. But God has called us to love all people, even those that have even harmed us, that the list is long and inexhaustive. Every person in every area of my life. Man. Mark, if I knew you were talking about this today, I would not have come, right? I would have watched some other church online, and I would not have done this because this is not what I need to hear. So how? just tell me how to do this. And Well, good, Paul does, and he gives us some direction. Can I give you some practical, two practical thoughts? That we love each other, we build each other up through generosity, and we talk about that a lot because generosity is a lifestyle. Generosity is not just about your envelopes in the box in the back or texting it online. It's not that at all. It's far more and above that also. And that is that it's about a lifestyle for you and I. What generosity is about is whom I give credit to, to, to what I have. It's whom I give credit to for what I have. And in light of that, I understand why I have what I have. And if I give God the credit for all the things that I have, and I'm not taking any credit for myself, then when it comes to understanding why I have them, I have it for others. I have it for others. Then my obligation in life is to build others up. It's a it's what I call, and I wrote this in my notes this week, a love obligation. And you think, Mark, you should not use the word love and obligation together. You, you should not. Yes, I thought about this. You know, if I were to send Reba a, a Valentine card and I were to write in there, you're lovely and you're wonderful and, and I just love you to the ends of the world and, and I'm so thankful that I'm obligated to love you, right? Yes. How would that go over, right? That would not go over well. You know, it's not going to fly. It's not. But what the beauty of this is, the obligation of love is simply carried out in the shadow of God's mercy and grace for you and I. So the obligation is not done by fear and the obligation is not done by some, uh, you know, painful moment in my life. It's, it's not, but it's done because I love God and out of because of how he loves me. And so it becomes an obligation of love that we have to one another that we build each other up. So, let's talk about relationships. Those are important questions. Here it is. Here's the second question I want to ask you. When you meet someone for the first time, what is one of your initial thoughts? You say, Mark, I can't say that in church, right? You know? and, and maybe you can't, yes. What you know, look at the person next to you. I don't know if you came with them or not. You know, maybe you didn't. They're, they're, they're gonna, if you didn't, they're going to look at you really weird, right? So, so the first time that you met that individual, you know, what was your first thought? If they're your child, you thought, oh, what a miracle from God. What a wonderful, you know, bundle of joy this is, right? Until they wake you up at 3 o'clock every morning for three months straight, right? And, and so 
so what is your first, what was your first thought when you met that individual? I think that some of them would kind of be like this, you know, how, how are they going to enrich my life? Yeah, we think that about people, right? How are they going to enrich my life? Um, how much do we have in common? That's where we start. How much, how compatible are we? How compatible are we? And when I read this chapter 15 and what I understand about relationships of Paul, have we ever had the thought when we met somebody, have we ever had this thought of how can God use me to build that person up? Wow. How can God use me to build that person up? So for a moment, as awkward as it is, I'm not, you don't want to say anything to anybody, so just hang on, okay? Your anonymity is safe with me, okay? So, and then look at the person next to you. Maybe you don't even know them. How, how could you build that person up? Have you ever thought about that? How could you build that person up? Not what they can do for you, but what could you do for them? And some guy is looking at some girl, and you've been checking her out for a long time, and you're thinking, honey, yes, that's right. You go on a date with me. It'll build your life like nobody's been. You've just never been there before, right? Yes. You just don't know what you're missing. That's about you, right? How do I build that individual up? You say, Mark, that's a tall order. That's a tough lifestyle. How does this happen? Oh, I'm glad you asked that. Because if you go back to the very first of this text in verse 1, Paul talked, he starts out with this statement, we who are strong. And I thought about that. Who is he talking about? He's talking about those that are strong in the faith. What does that mean? Does that mean that everybody, they keep all the rules is it, is it those people that you know, check off all the boxes? Or is it those people that do the 5 a.m. Bible study every Sunday morning, no matter what happens? If it was the end of the world in Armageddon, they would still do the Bible study before all that went down? Is it that? No, no, no. What I realize when I look back at this text, it's not that. It's those that have a proper understanding of grace. That's who those strong ones are. It's those that realize that they're not continually working for something that God has already given freely. It's, it's the reality of those that, that understand that this is not about my faithfulness. This is truly about God's faithfulness in my life. And out of that, that I'm saved by grace, not by works. So it's grace. It's grace that drives my works, that I want to please God because I love God, because there's a love relationship with Him. And in light of that, I strengthen other people's lives by the things that I do and the works that I do in life. Why? Because God has done that for me. That's the fuel that I use to build others up is the grace and mercy that God has shown me. That's it. I think sometimes we cancel ourselves, right? Because we're not doing those things that everybody else does. And so we categorize those as strong in the Lord. Yes, but what I understand about being strong in the Lord is my real understanding of grace because it is grace that fuels my life in that of building you up and building the weak up and simply taking care and loving one another. It's through that understanding of grace within my life. It's not that I get everything right in life spiritually. It's not that at all, but that is that we are the strong. It comes down to Galatians 6 and 2. It's what he, Paul says to you and I, that we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That we carry one another. But when you read that verse, what we realize is that read it in context later on today. Read 
Read Galatians chapter 1, 2, or verses 1, 2, and 3. Because verse 2 that we just read is bookended by two powerful verses on pride. It really is. Because pride is the destructive factor of all of our relationships. That's why how the strong, that's how the strong build up the weak. Because it's not about pride. It's about an understanding that you and I exist because of the grace and the mercy of God. And that's the total opposite of pride. And you and I can never walk in the law of Christ as long as we're walking in pride. Amen, Mark. That's good. That's really good. Yeah, yeah. You know, I know, I just lost the other half, right, in the room. No, don't get off on pride. Go somewhere else. But don't talk about that this morning. No. It's our Christian obligation to carry others. We love and care for each other in the shadow of God's unexplainable mercy. And then he says this. I've been preaching 25 minutes. I only got one point. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that so exciting? Yes. It's so exciting. I hope you packed a lunch. So here's the thing, all right? And, and I'm just teasing, but the path, maybe I'm not, the path to living life well is the second thing. Here it is. Here it is. Appreciating the place of Scripture in my life. Appreciating the place of Scripture in my life. Look at verse 4. For whatever was written in former days, that of the Old Testament, he says, was written for our instruction today. So it talks about the relevancy of Scripture for our life. That through endurance and through the, the encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope. Listen, Paul had so much to draw on in his life. He had this experience on the Damascus Road, this bright light, the words, the, the voice of God, these things speaking into his life. But he says, no, wait a minute. You can't build these kinds of relationships. You can't build your spiritual life on just an experience alone. He said, you have to have scripture. You have to have a combination of the two, but be heavy in the area of Scripture because a worthy view of Scripture results in a well-lived life. And here's what he says, that in Scripture you're going to experience two things. He just said that to us in this verse. First is endurance. And I thought, what does that have to do with the Bible? Endurance. Well, what I realize is this. The Bible says some hard things to us. All right? If you don't want to be challenged... Be careful reading the Bible. I'm just going to tell you that right out. Because it says some very hard things to us. And it contains some obligations. Have you ever thought how much of your life is spent avoiding the hard things? Have you ever, it's a lot, isn't it? Yeah, think about it. Today, if you go to the store, what are you going to do? Are, are, are you going to walk? For, are you going to park 14 miles out in the parking lot and walk in, right, and feel good? No, what are you going to do? You're going to pull the front of the building, and you're going to start scanning, right? What are you scanning for? The closest parking spot. The half of the parking lot's empty. Not good enough for you, right? You have to park three spaces from the front door. You have to. You never know when you have to make a clean getaway, right? So you, you have to park close. We look for the least resistance in all areas of our life. We, we look for the lightest load. You know, we're going to go for the lowest setting on the treadmill. Yes, what if you took those moments in Scripture? Those moments that make you feel uncomfortable. Those moments that make you feel pain a little bit. Those moments that challenge your lifestyle. What if you took those moments as an opportunity to struggle with them? To allow them to change you? Because I believe... That And I love our culture greatly, but in our culture, I believe that we become a casualty to our need to always play it safe. What if you allowed the Holy Spirit through Scripture to speak to you 
in those areas of your life about loving others. And then he said, hang on, that was tough. But also the scripture provides, provides encouragement, promises, based on God's faithfulness, not ours. Promises based upon God's track record, not our broken track record for sure, but yet promises that was spoken to you and I. So what are you building on to build up others today? I think that's so important that you really look at your life. That what are you building on to build up others in your life? And then he says, the path to living well is recognizing that, that I'm called to unity and not uniformity. You know, I'm going to read verse 5. Hannah comes out at verse 6. Hannah better get ready because, man, I could really just, we could spend some time here. I'm telling you, we really could. Verse 5 says this. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. That how do we live in harmony in the midst of our differences? Because God has called us to unity and not uniformity. And I realize that's a minefield for me to walk through this morning with some of you. How do we cross those lines of difference? Because just think in this room, we're so different. We have so many different backgrounds. We have so many different theological approaches to things in this very room this morning. So how do we cross those lines of difference today just in this room alone? How do, what is the key to unity in the middle of our diversity? What is it? This week, Reeve and I, um, oh, I'm sorry, last week, Reeve and I had a discussion at our house. Now, a discussion sometimes is a code word for, you know, disagreement, right? And, and so we had a discussion, and um, she made a statement to me, which there was nothing wrong with her statement, and she was sharing something from her heart about the way she felt about something theologically. And so we were sitting on the couch in our hearts room, and she says that to me, and I respond as a loving and a caring husband, and I just sit there and said, I'll just listen to you and let you pour your heart out, right? That's not what I did. Do you know what I did? I pulled out a sermon is what I did, yes. Now, can I tell you, that's, not, that's dangerous. It's extremely dangerous. You can't see my wounds today. They're, they're hidden, okay? But that can be very dangerous. And so I preached to her for a while, and I saw that look on her face that that's not what she needed. And what I realized at the end of that discussion, at the end of the discussion, I, I gave an altar call, but she wouldn't respond. I don't know why, right? No, I didn't do that. We disagreed. We did not see eye to eye on that topic. But here's the cool thing we're still married. Isn't that awesome? Yes. We're still married. I'm still living at home. It's great. It really is. Yes. I'm not living in the driveway. And so it's, it's, a, it's a great thing. But here is the thing. We still have that difference. We still don't see eye to eye. And that made me think a lot about this sermon this morning. Because in this text, I just read verse 5. It says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you. And I thought about this. Because I believe in church, we think that if we just love and care for one another, then, then, then all of a sudden we're all going to be really unified together and think just alike. And what I realize is that, that, that love does not make all the differences go away. And if you think it does, then can I tell you something? Don't get married. Get a dog. Okay? Really. Seriously. Get two dogs. If you're a real man, get a poodle, okay? That's what you need to do. Yes, 
Yes, and dare people to say something to you. So the thing is that, no, that, that reality is that love does not make all the differences go away. And when I read this, what I realized when he says that God grants to you, that, that I understood that, that unity is a gift. It's a gift of God, far beyond our human abilities. Why? Because we love ourselves way too much, right? And Mark really wants to be right. And I'm telling you, that's me. I mean, that's just being real honest about that thing. That that's me, that, that Mark wants to be right. But unity, what I really understand in reading this, is a spirit given to us by God. It's a product It's a product of Christ being the centrality of everything we do. That's what it is. That unity is a product of being the centra- Christ being the centrality of everything that we do. Not that we agree on everything. Not that we see everything the same way. And we're not going to do that. And I realize they are, there are declaratives in Scripture that we must agree on the deity of Christ, the Trinity. I realize, I understand that, that we're saved by grace, not by faith. I realize that I, our, our works, but I even said that wrong, didn't I? Yes, I did. Erase that. So here's the thing. Yes, uh, that, that I understand there are declaratives in life. But when we begin to focus on the peripherals of life and those things become center for us as a church or they become center for you as an individual, then you are opening yourself up for a life of turmoil and division is what you're doing. Because Christ is the center. He's the center here above everything else. Whether you say today that you are reformed or whether you say that you are free will, but Christ is the center. Whether you speak in tongues in your prayer life or whether you do not, Christ is the center. That this is not about prophecy or the gifts and we value all of those things. Understand that. But Christ is the common identifier in our lives. And anytime you get away from that, you're going to be in trouble. And we keep him center then what I realize is that we remain unified even in the moments of our diversity. Verse 6 says this. Hannah, that's your cue. Come on. You better hurry because Mark can keep going unless you play. That's the thing. You know, it's a trigger something in me. That together, he says, <laughs> yeah. So you got to bring a keyboard to church with you, right? And start playing out there. So <laughs> Romans 15 verse 6 says this. Yeah. Are you there? Oh, there you are. Good to see you. I love Hannah. Don't you guys love Hannah? Isn't she amazing? Yes. Yeah. You can't have her. She belongs to us and Austin. Okay, here, but here's the thing. Verse 6. That together, well, I'm, I'm excited about this verse. Here it is. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in the middle of our diversity. Isn't that wonderful? That we become one voice, not because we agree on everything, but we have made Christ the center of everything. And then he says this. Therefore, so what do you do with that unity? He said, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. In the light of grace and mercy. Open your heart. Open your home. Open your church doors. Open your relationships. To those around you. And especially to the weak. For that is our obligation. The path to living well is living the life of joy and peace. And he says in verse 13. 
Because I have to read verse 13 because it's an invocation. And he says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Because if we're trying to do this by loving each other and living in unity in the middle of our diversity, if we're trying to do this outside of the power of the Holy Spirit, we will fail. We will fail in those areas. So I thought, as he closes this invocation, because if you read the rest of chapter 15, he goes in a whole different direction. He talks about joy. And I love this because he talks about a joy in context here that is found in Christ and found in loving others. And that's so powerful. That what I realize is that it's a joy that we find in receiving forgiveness and grace, but it's also a joy that we find in you and I extending forgiveness and grace. Joy was never given to you just to make your day better. Never. It was given to you in light of building others up, to loving others. And he says, hey, don't, don't, don't want to stop there because God gives you peace in believing. And I, and I kind of wondered that statement, peace in believing, what is Paul getting at? And what I, I believe that he's getting at is it's a peace based upon believing and having an understanding of God's grace and mercy that's extended to you and I. That in a world that is in turmoil, in a world that seemingly has just lost its bearings, that you and I have peace, not some fuzzy, warm feeling, but we have peace based upon that of grace and mercy and the gospel in our lives. But I realize there's more than that. I wrote in my journal this week, it's a peace with leftovers because it's more. It's more than we would ever need. Why would God give us more peace than we would ever need in our lives? Because it's not just a peace to receive, but it's a peace to give. Yeah. It's a peace that's given to us by Christ through the redemptive work on the cross, but it's a peace that we extend to others. It's about not just getting peace, but it's about making peace. And boy, that gets personal. Because as many people are in this room this morning, there's at least one of you, and I say that jokingly, that needs to make peace with someone. Or you need peace within yourself. And that peace that you find, that joy that you find within you, it's going to always drive you out to simply duplicate that in other people and build them up, especially those that are weak. So, who do you need to make peace with today? Mark, that's between me and God. I know, I know. And, and, and you, that's okay. But there's someone in your life, you can get that mental picture at this moment, that because of what Christ has done for you and his redemptive work in your life and his mercy and his grace, that he didn't give that to you just to come and to rejoice about that every week in this room. But he gave that to you for you to be an instrument to extend that to others. Mark, what if they don't, what if they don't reciprocate that? 
Can I tell you? God loved you long before you ever reciprocated him with your love, right? Soak. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Your call in life is to extend that to others. That's it. So I think it, it brings us to a point of soul searching for a moment. All of us in this room, myself included, as to where we are in this obligation to building up others. So for a moment, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? You're cutting out all the distractions. Maybe you that are at church at home and are watching today, that if you would just quieten the kids for a moment and bow your heads for a moment of reflection. And I would ask you to search your heart this morning. Because we have such an opportunity to do something with what God has taught us today. That is not just going to make us feel better because we've kept some kind of rule. But it's going to be defining and life changing to others around us. To build others up. And to know that we are doing that in the light of God's mercy and grace within our lives. To cross those bounds of difference. To realize that those differences were taken to the cross by Jesus in our relationships. So I don't have to carry them. All God called me to do is to love and build up. So I don't allow that to be a barrier in my life. Because truly the enemy would use that. And the joy and the peace that I experience in Christ is not given for me to just bury somewhere deep inside of my life, but is given to me to give out. So Father, in this moment of reflection, in this time where we look into our own hearts and our own minds, that you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would bring us to this moment of truth in our lives. That you would reveal those places, God, that we need to surrender to you, those feelings, those thoughts, those things of unforgiveness. And God, that we would begin to build others up. That our goal in life, our ambition in life, our obligation is to build up those that are weak. And we do this all, Father, in the shadow of your grace and mercy over our lives, which is so undeserving. So, God, Use us in the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, today let this be a beginning of repaired relationships, of restoration and reconciliation. God, let this be a beginning for someone who is struggling in their life with grace and mercy that those that are strong in the room would simply step into their lives.
and lead them to an assurance. So God, use us. Use us, Father, in light of your grace and mercy. Thank you, Father, for your joy and your peace in our lives. May we leave this place today extending it to others.